Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak. is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Waybreak, a leading email and CRM agency helping brands like Nutrafol, Curology, and more maximize their revenue from best-in-class email and SMS marketing. If you want to learn more about partnering us to execute a better retention and lifecycle marketing strategy to maximize revenue, you can do so by learning more at wavebreak.co and scheduling a call. That's wavebreak.co. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dan Zavarotny, who is the COO of NutriSense. NutriSense is a really great company in the health and wellness space, uh, raised a lot of money, 170 employees, and a lot to learn from Dan about hiring a best-in-class team, the exact process that he uses to hire people effectively, including case studies and examples of those case studies. Uh, we talk about marketing from end to end, the impact of adding a quiz to the business and the way they're able to personalize their marketing as a result. We talk about marketing channels and what's working for the brand really end to end. So lots to learn from this episode, really great interview. So let's just jump right into it. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me over. Appreciate it. Yeah. Excited, excited to chat. So before we dive into, you know, NutriSense, where it is today, let's go with the quick high level overview. Like you have a background in consulting. Now you're CEO of NutriSense. Like how did you get into this business? And then what is NutriSense at a high level as well for the people who are listening who might not be familiar? Sure. So I was doing healthcare consulting. My job was basically travel the world and optimize profitability for insurance companies, medical device manufacturers, and hospitals. And uh, people may not be surprised, but optimizing for those costs and revenue is usually at the opposite and inverse relationship with actually patient outcomes. Because by saving money for the hospital, sometimes you don't actually help the patients. And so 
paid really well, uh, but didn't feel that good about it as a human being. And so I basically said, what else can I do to actually drive value to the world? And I was searching for something in either health, preventative health, or fertility or education. Those are kind of three areas I really love and I'm passionate about. Uh, and I was at a healthcare conference in Silicon Valley and ran across one of my old friends, Alex, who just sold a company uh, called Trusted Childcare. Basically, they were sending babysitters to people's houses. They had like 20,000 babysitters that were sending around the US. And he was wearing a continuous glucose monitor and he said, Hey, do you know anything about this? And I happen to be an expert in this area uh, professionally. Also, my sister's type diabetic, so personally as well. So he said to me, Hey, I'm interested in starting this company. You want to do something with me? You seem like a smart guy, you know, healthcare consultant. And I actually told him, that sounds like a stupid idea. Why would anyone wear this if they're not type one diabetic? And he said, why don't you just try this on? So I went home back to Chicago. I got one for my sister, put it on. And within two days, I realized how wrong I was. And I realized how much food, stress, sleep, exercise affected my glucose. And by just adjusting, making small adjustments, what I eat and how I exercise dramatically impacted my energy levels and just like everything from my skincare uh, to my quality of life dramatically improved. So I went back to him and I said, okay, let's do it. Get to quit my job. So I quit my job and two weeks later, we started it. Uh, the only part that I forgot to ask or because I didn't know research was, what's a founder agreement? Should we have one? Uh, and I knew this was a little bit of a dilemma because uh, when we started, he said, all right, cool. You want to build? You want to sell? And I said, build what? And he's like, software. Do you know write code? I said, no. He's like, all right, you're going to sell. And I said, sell. I do you know, finance strategy, cost optimization. Who would sell what? Like, I don't know how to do any of this. He's like, well, then what the hell are you doing here? And my face turned red and I was like, shit. I just quit this really high paying job where I just like traveling the world, enjoying life, meeting executives, you know, Fortune 500 companies to getting paid zero. And I'm thinking like, what am I doing? And so I kind of, you know, went around the block, came back to him and said, all right, cool. I'm, I think I'm going to sell. How do I sell? And he said, dude, that's your job. Literally, like go figure it out. And so I just went on good old Google and typed in how to sell on the internet. And it said, step one, create a website. And I go back to him like, we need to create a website. He's like, all right, we'll go figure out how to get like a Wix page or something. So just YouTube that tutorial, put it online, and then started looking up how to step two, like how to sell on the internet. And I came up with like hundreds of strategies. And I came back to again my co-founder and said, All right, we have hundreds of strategies. Which one should I do? What's my budget? He said, zero. And that hit me, all right. That eliminated like 95% of them. And it was left with like influencers, Facebook groups, uh, like core po posts, uh, going on health and wellness podcasts in your niche. So I started focusing on those. And within like two, three weeks, we got to like $8,000 in revenue. Um, and then next month, we got to like 20, 30,000 revenue and the month after 50. And then now we're close to, I think, three and a half million a month. Uh, it's three years later. Wow. So um, fully but surely. Yeah. What a, what a story too. And then, yeah. So fast forwarding to now, the brand is obviously like, I mean, how'd you go from Wix site to the brand it is today? Because today you look at the brand, it looks very premium, professional, very science, which I think really speaks to the brand and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, what, what has that transition been look, uh, been like, obviously it's been years, but, uh, yeah. just at a high level. Yeah. At a high level is the, the rule was the thumb was, I'm going to go do a job. I'm going to get obsessed with a job for one or two months. Uh, and I'm going to get obsessed with it with three ways. One is just doing and breaking a system. So now the two is getting a mentor who's one or two years ahead of me. And three is just obsessing and learning everything I can about it. So by breaking, I mean, when I would go into Facebook ads, for example, I'm going to try to run every creative, every single button. I'm going to click on every single thing and see what happens. 
Um, and I have, by the time I'm done with it, I'm going to have hundreds of questions. I'm going to call every rep I can think of at Facebook and just ask him millions of questions. Two is I'm going to get a mentor ahead of me. And what I mean by this is, you know, there's things that you could take you forever to learn and there's things you shouldn't worry about. And having someone who's done it before teaches you can accelerate that. And I think part people make mistakes on is people oftentimes get a mentor who's like 10, 20 years ahead of them, who's a multi-billionaire, and they're just too far ahead. And they don't remember what it feels like. They don't remember the scars. They also, you know, platforms change, you know, the iOS changes, things change. And so having someone who's only a couple years ahead of you really helps. And a lot of those people are actually super helpful when they see that you're passionate and they see the improvement and growth. We as human beings, just like measuring direct consumer, we also measure other people. So when you see someone coming with zero and then all of a sudden they have five and a 10 and 20 knowledge level, you get excited. You see the progress. We love measuring things as humans. That's why we love, you know, money because you can measure, you have more and more and more. And so that's been very effective. And the third one, just like listen to every podcast, like your podcast or other direct consumer podcasts, YouTube tutorials, like just trying everything. So I would get obsessed with something like this for a while, for a couple months, do it myself. And then once I get it going just okay, I try to hire someone, replace myself. And the rule there was always that person has to be at least three times better than me. If they were at least three times better than me, then I would put that person in place. I'll go learn a new job. So I would start. So I start off with influencers. Uh, then I started with health and wellness podcasts. Then I went to Facebook groups. Uh, then I went to Facebook itself. Then Google. Then Twitter. Then Pinterest. And kind of one at a time, and replace myself over and over. And now we have a twenty-seven person marketing design team. We're you know nonstop just running ads in like sixteen different channels. Wow. And then you say hire someone three times better than yourself. For so many founders, yep. hiring is the hardest part. How are you able to not just hire somebody to replace you, but also who's three times better? Yeah, so there's two things. The first part is if people don't realize that, like if you get obsessed with something, like truly obsessed, not where I watch, you know, you're passively learning something, but actively learning, where this is what I said, take notes. So when I listen to podcasts, I have pages of notes. I listened to your last podcast, True Classic One, and I have like, three pages of notes on that podcast, right? A lot of <laughs> stuff I knew, but one. by writing it, yeah. And by writing by hand, second of all, writing by hand shows that you are more likely to memorize. People, problem is people usually listen passively. They're like, listen to while they're talking to friends in their car, but I actively listen where I have notes and sub notes. And then I'll actually reach out to those people and be like, hey, I have a follow-up on this thing you said. And I message LinkedIn, LinkedIn message them. And when you're so specific, people respond. Like, I'm not even joking. My response rate in messaging people questions like 50, 60%. <laughs> it's nuts, right? So did you uh, message hap- Ryan from the podcast too? Not yet, not yet. But I, that's not my yet. to-do list. Not yet, but I will because I have some questions for him. Uh, but the irony is people think like, oh, I message people and I get a 1% response rate, no response. And the problem is that when you message people, people usually message, they'll say like, I love your podcast. Can we chat? Or I love your podcast. Uh, I love this marketing thing you talked about. Can we talk about marketing? And then I, you know, sometimes you get in a call and they're like, teach me about marketing. It's ridiculous. But if you tell them like, hey, you talked about using three agencies for these creatives in this specific instance, I was thinking about doing this or this. What do you think? When it's that specific, people want to help because it's it gets them excited. All successful people are learners by nature. And so when you throw unique problems at them, they want to dive in. They just they have this urge. It's like an obsession with solving problems and they can't stop. So basically I would find these mentors and they would just constantly help me. And then the last part about this, so you know, by doing this. You can get to like 90% good within two months, three months, right? Uh, get to 99 or 100% takes a decade, two decades. But you don't need to be that amazing, right? You need to be just good to understand what good looks like. Because otherwise, when you interview people, how do you know if someone's good? Like someone says, I'm amazing at Facebook ads. How do you know? 
And if they show you, what do you you don't understand? But if you've done certain things and you've seen it, you can now go deeper. So it's the goal is not to be at a shallow level knowledge, but a pretty deep level. Uh, the second part is even then you sometimes have you know you miss things. And so what I would have these mentors, advisors, I find, I would say, can you just do one or two interviews for me at the back? So what happens? I run through the interview process, and at the end, I would always ask them to do one or two interviews, so they can just validate. Did I make a mistake? Right, and you want to only ask for one or two because if you ask for too many, like you can't ask them to do a first round because people's time is valuable. But if it's one or two, it doesn't seem that big a deal. Uh, most people want to do it, and they kind of catch at the end if you missed anything. So those two steps, plus we always give people a case study, and then the question becomes: It's one. I said three times faster. It's either three times faster they do it three times faster than you did it, or the result return on spend is three times better, or something's three times. It has to be something, um, and that's how I measure it basically. And as long as I can have that that put in place. And the irony is that, and I want to be very clear here is even if you're the best that you get amazing at hiring, you're still going to be wrong by 50% of the time. And that's something <laughs> you have to be really comfortable with. I have this model. People are like, oh, I hire five people. They're amazing. I'm like, you're still going to be wrong because there are certain things you cannot predict for attitude, personality, like how much they care, right? I've, some of the best people, some of the smart people we've hired have been some of the laziest. And people that were pretty smart, but not the bread, like are the hardest worker. So it's that grit plus intelligence plus like background that works together. So I I tell people have that in mind where be comfortable letting people go and parting ways of the wrong people. And the sooner you do it, the better. People are always afraid, like, well, who else is going to do a job if they leave? It's fine. Sometimes it's better not to do it at all than do it and it be the wrong person. Totally. I mean, that's great advice. And thanks for being so honest about that, because I think everybody listens to these podcasts or even comes on. And it's like, you know, we have a 27 person team and it's like, wow, that's amazing. It really worked out for Dan and he's so lucky, <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> no, this is like years of trial and error. And then I also like how you break it down to three times better. It doesn't mean like they're three times better than you overall. That's that you're probably not going to find, but as long as they're three times better than you in one specific area, I think that makes a lot of sense. And then in terms of the case study, obviously consulting background, that makes a lot of sense too. What is an example of what that looks like? Because a lot of people talk about doing a test project or a case study. And I think a lot of founders, especially up and coming brands, really struggle to like execute on that and like really give people uh, one, a test project period and two, something that's actually going to demonstrate that person's actual sure. skill. So how do you think so about that? It's specifically with a job. I make the as close to real life as possible. So for example, if I we did influencer marketing and we did a lot of that, the case study literally is, hey, you get an influencer, go get us, uh, like go get an influencer for us. And we'll pay you for it, by the way. And it's irony is that when we ask people, hey, you know, can you get influencers? And they're like, oh, easy. How many can you get? I can get a hundred a week. I'm like, hundred a week. Wow. I thought it was pretty good and I could do like three a week and you could do a hundred a week. Great. So can you get one now? And everyone says yes. And people end up self-selecting themselves out. They come back a week later, they're like, I couldn't get one. Or I don't want to be part of the process anymore. And I'm like, we'll pay you for it. Like, you don't, you're not doing the work for free. And by the end, like people who succeeded are the ones that are being good at the job. People that failed, failed. And so you have to make the case study almost identical to the actual role. And does a couple of things. One is you can see if they could do it. But number two, for the actual individual also helps. Because the individual can see then, what is the job like? Because the issue is that no matter how much you read a job description, how much you talk to people, it's always a surprise, right? And by actually doing a job, people know exactly what it's like. And there's this connection of understanding what it is. I think what most companies do, and, they, and this is where you know the hiring talent is so difficult, people try to convince you. Let me tell you why my idea is amazing. You should join me, quit your amazing job you currently have, and join my little startup. 
And people do a sales thing. Sales is critical, but you could sell someone who's amazing because you're really good at selling can someone, but then they hate it. And then now there's a three-month span where they're thinking about how to quit. And you think you're this perfect person and you move on something else. And then they quit and you even have a bigger gap. So you have to be overly transparent. We have this thing where we tell everyone everything terrible at our company. And if they're okay with it, then they join. But if they're not okay with they don't, and it's fine. But when they start, there's less shock and surprise. And they know they're getting themselves into because happiness for every person's reality versus expectations, you know, and everyone has different expectations. And when do you lay those expectations out? Is that in like the intro call in the first interview? Like what does the overall interview process look like from, you know, application to hire? Sure. So first they apply, um, depends on a role. We usually have them fill out a couple of questions digitally before we get on a call, because you gotta remember time is critical as a startup. This is why startups can't compute big companies because they are faster. Uh, but you have to make things more efficient. And so you have to have a couple of questions and see how much they actually answer the questions deeply. Uh, so it depends on a role. We might ask him things like, for let's say Facebook ads, show us your best ad. Or why you just in general, like, why do you want to join? Or what makes you better market than everyone else? And see how well they answer. If they gave you some BS answer, that means that they don't actually care. And it kind of shows for attitude, right? Uh, the next step, we have an intro call and we try to understand how effective they are communicating. And it's more 50-50, how well fucked are they communicating? And if they're good, halfway through, we kind of turn into almost sales pitch. Why Nutrisense is a good fit for them. Uh, and then if they're still interested, then we go to the second round, where now it becomes a harder one-on-one uh, detailed interview with someone in our team. Then if they pass through, then they do the case study. Then if they pass case study, then we have uh, two more, which are now two people that we think are impressive. And they do part sales, part uh, interviewing. And this is the most critical part, guys. This is what I always tell people. Um, If you now definitely want to hire this person and you know they're a high-quality candidate, you should send them to talk to someone impressive. So we built a founder of other impressive network of other impressive founders who are like CEOs of other big companies. And we'll say, hey, talk to Steve or talk to Kyle just to catch up. And what this shows this person is like the ability and connection they'll build at this company. Because a lot of times someone's leaving Google job to join your startup and your startup could be paying them half the salary. And so like, why do they want to take this risk on? But this shows them that other people who are smart and successful believe in your vision that they should also believe, right? People forget that interviewing is part sales and part interviewing, but the sales part often gets often gets neglected. People only do this, the, we're going to judge you. But this candidate has options, They're especially if they're talented. Talented people have hundreds of options. I mean, I'll tell you, Almost all my team members get like 10 to 20, you know, LinkedIn messages like, hey, join our company. And then the irony is the better we do and the better we get, the more people want to reach out to them and hire them for their jobs, right? And so how do you keep them around? And it's by giving them more than just work, giving them and treating them like people part of your team and opportunities to meet other people, other investors, other impressive founders. Does that help clarify? Totally. I love the end-to-end process. It's very, very consulting driven, which I love. Um, and I think like more in D2C could do that because I, I I don't think there's always a great process. And I really appreciate you breaking it down so clearly each step and and the balance of, you know, how do we make sure just being honest about what exactly the role is and making sure it's a win-win on both sides while at the same time, you know, each One person. part I'll tell you that's been very helpful and very effective is when we ask for reference checks, we know most reference checks are going to give us people that like them, right? So we actually don't look at it like that. And so we, we ask a couple questions like, how do you like this person? Obviously, the person says negative thing. Well, whoa, you know, you yourself couldn't give us someone's reference check that trusts you. 
So, but it almost never happens, like one out of a hundred, right? But the thing that we do is this: we ask the reference person, "How would you most effectively work this person, or how did you most effectively work with this person?" Because the biggest part is when you start working with someone is understanding their working style, and it's the time for them to onboard as well as working style. If this their former manager could tell you, "Oh, here's what I did. This is how we most effectively work together." You can skip that three months and make it like two weeks. An example is some people need to be caught up and you know have a touch point every day for five minutes, literally five minutes every day. Other people, you can just talk to them for one hour and then talk to them again three weeks later. There, so everyone's got a different working style, and you have to, as a leader, adjust to their working style instead of making them all just to yours, right? Because they're the ones executing the work, and you actually want to. Your job is to get out of the way and let them be at their best self, and then also unblock them if anything's happened. So every call for me is always, how can I help you? How can I unblock you? How can I help you do your work more efficiently? And so you see a lot of leaders say like, oh, you know, I'm a person who likes to do video calls all the time, so we're going to do video calls. And like, but if you hate video calls all the time, like, it's I'm making your life miserable. You're like, oh, another video call with his boss. Instead, I have notes. I'm like, this person likes email. This person's a Slack. This person's a five minute call person. This person's a two hour long discussion, and we don't talk for a month, right? By having that adjustment. You let people actually be best effective at their skill sets. But the part that's important is, this is why I asked the reference checks. We ourselves as human beings, are we lack self-awareness. And so you think you're X, but actually you're Y. So by asking a former person that was your manager, how would you work with a person? How is the most effective way? You kind of got to see from that person's point of view. And you skipped the months and months of onboarding, understand like how do we work together, how we communicate uh, because this, these two, three managers just told you, this person likes this and this and this. They're the best at this and this. They're not as strong as this. Maybe don't worry about this. So it skips a lot of the onboarding parts. Yeah, that's great. I know people usually don't often find they dislike something, even myself, until I'm like deep in the middle of it. Like even like you say, like building yourself out of certain roles. It won't be until I'm like deep into the role where I'm like, oh, you know, this really isn't for me. Um, so I think that's great to like, you know, yeah. really ask and get that perspective from somebody else. Even references, I think that's a great breakdown of like how to successfully run that process because everybody asks, but I don't think most people know what to do <laughs> and just probably ask yeah. really basic yes questions that don't really teach you anything and you get filtered answers like you're saying as well. And the two big things I'll tell you as I do is for every reference point and every interview I do, I always ask someone, who are the two smartest people you know? Because number one is if the candidate I'm interviewing is smart, they're going to have smart people. And they also know they want to send you smart people because they want to build trust. So by asking them, you get two more leads of other candidates who are really good. Uh, and then the second part is this reference check is also going to be good because this person, the first interviewer, interviewee, they're trying to impress. They're going to send you a good reference check. The reference check is also going to have good candidates. So you now build this funnel, right? Because a startup, remember, you have no brand. You're not Google or Apple. People just apply nonstop. No one knows who you are. Nobody wants to take a risk and be like, what the hell is this company? So you have to create a source, a funnel source for inbound candidates. So almost like you look you know, at getting revenue, you have to think about getting a funnel for candidates constantly, consistently. And the best way to do it is just getting smart people giving you candidates. <laughs> yeah. Just cut to the end. Who are other smart people that you know? And then go from yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. And it really helps. I mean, Don't we hire some people like that. Like basically someone on the team already is like, hey, I really recommend this person. And then you like save them for later or when you're going to hire that role, they're the first person you reach out to. So someone on the team, but also during, like when someone's interviewing during the process, we'll be like, hey, who are two other good people you know? Who are two smart people you know? 
and the reference check person were asking, who are two smartest people you know? Oh, so and it will be like, can everybody. you make an introduction? <laughs> Everyone, every investor we talk to, every influencer we talk to, right? Because as people want to impress you, they're going to look for the smartest people. They're going to think about it. But again, you have to be very specific. If I say, do you know smart people? That's a very broad statement. When I say- Albert Einstein. The, exactly, right? <laughs> but if you say something like, it has to be a low enough ask where it's two, max three. It's not that hard. Number two, it, so it has to be specific. We're like in finance, in mark, in paid media, Facebook specific. Because as you know, like the Facebook guy could be Facebook, but maybe they're not going to Twitter, different platforms. Right. So it's being very specific and it helps people a lot. Yeah. No, I like that. I love the idea of asking every two people for referrals to just like always keep that going. And then it's not like you're spending a ton on, you know, job posts or outreach or recruiters, um, which I'm sure still exists. But um, no, I love that that flywheel yeah. too. I want to switch gears and talk about marketing for a little bit too. I love the talking about team and building a team, but you guys started with the Wix website and today you are, you know, growing really fast. You've got a big team across multiple channels. Um, so like, what did that look like? Like, how do you think about acquiring customers? Also, it's like a very specific product too. Maybe we can start actually with like, you know, the product a little bit more yep. about it. And then how, I'm curious how you market it differently to like people who need a glucose monitor, like maybe, you know, yep. for health reasons versus, you know, also the average person. So let's start there and sure. then we can get deeper into marketing. So yeah, our, so just to give you guys content. We started our Wix page basically had pay here now, enter credit card. <laughs> right? That was how we started. <laughs> uh, and that's all it had. People had to prepay before we ever launched. So that was, you know, people always worried, like, is this a real website? Am I getting scammed here? Um, but our product is this. It's basically a couple pieces. It's a continuous glucose monitor, which, which we, we don't manufacture. We use third party. It is using us writing a medical prescription through a third party network in 50 states, which is very complicated digitally. Uh, it is software analytics on top that help you integrate all your other devices, like an Oura Ring, Apple Watch, a Garmin Watch. And it's a dietitian who also interprets the data. But the idea here is by wearing this device called Continuous Glucose Monitor, it penetrates the skin just a couple of millimeters and actually tracks your blood glucose in real time 24-7. And blood glucose is a proxy for your metabolism. So anytime you eat anything from fat to protein to carbs, literally any food, anytime you sleep, exercise, meditate, you understand, you see how your body reacts. So people historically have been using counting calories or stepping in a scale. A lot of that stuff is too long of a wait. So for example, you may be trying to lose weight and you might have to wait a month before you see a weight loss. Here, by eating something, within minutes, you actually see how you responded. And it's specifically to you. It'll give you a number on the app, like 120. It'll say, it's a score of six, you know, could be a six or a seven. And you know immediately, like, do this or don't do this. And a human jumps in and goes, hey, you should change this to this. And what's interesting is that it shows you how unique we all are. You know, I can eat a banana. It has literally no impact on me. My co-founder can eat a banana. It looks like he's diabetic for like two hours. Yet I can eat, yet he can eat chocolate all day. I can't eat chocolate. Our microbiomes are unique. Our genetics are unique. Our sexes, depends on women, their menstrual cycle makes a huge impact also on how they respond. And so this is incredibly powerful for people. Um, so people sign up and then we send them subscription. There's a one, three, six, and 12 month subscription. Unfortunately, these devices only last 14 days. So we have to send two per month. And so that's the model overall. And I think the second question was where are we right now for marketing or? 
Yeah. I mean, I kind of threw like five questions at you because as I was <laughs> yeah. talking through it, I was like, wait, maybe it would make more sense to like set the table with, uh, you know, yeah. what the product yeah, yeah, yeah. is and who it's for. But uh, no, I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like there's a lot of things affecting our energy, our skin and health in general that we don't really think about on a daily basis unless you're like deep in this space. And, um, you know, with that yeah. being said, like, how do you acquire new customers? What does that process look yeah. like? This episode is brought to you by Tidio the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Through live chat, chatbots, and ticketing, Tidio helps Shopify merchants gain and retain more customers with personalized shopping experiences. With Tidio, you can recommend products and offer discounts based on user behavior and order history, all without leaving the chat widget. This increases conversions and revenue. Tidio also takes the pressure off your support team. The app enables you to manage all of your communication channels in one dashboard and to be able to automate up to 47% of recurring questions. If you want to increase sales and customer satisfaction with personalized shopping experiences, visit tidio.com slash leaders. That's T-I-D-I-O dot com slash leaders to start using Tidio Premium. And I was able to get an exclusive discount for listeners. So make sure you use that link and promo code leaders. It's going to be linked down in the show notes below. Use that link and that code to get an exclusive discount all while leveraging the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Go check them out. So we, our customers range from literally Olympic athletes to type two diabetics. And they range everything in between pre-diabetic, PCOS. What people don't realize is that Glucose is really, I mean, if you think, so if you take a step back and look at COVID, the two major factors for people being really sick or dying from COVID was actually lack of MND, which is sunshine or glucose control. And so if you're able to control those, your ability to just be healthy dramatically increases. And right now I'll give you guys context. One in three Americans is pre-diabetic. That's 89 million people, which is kind of nuts. So most of us know walking around, know someone's pre-diabetic. Um, and what we do is we basically say this product's for anyone who just wants to improve their health, but we come, we look at people more so as not what their sick, sickness or health state is, but more so their ambition, meaning they have to be what we call high effort people because it takes a lot to put something in your arm, track it 24 seven. But what we do specifically is we try to get people most, I mean, we started Facebook as, as a big, one of the biggest channels, still the biggest channel. But what we do is we realize that product is expensive. It's anywhere from $400 to $1,200 a year. So it's expensive. It's also confusing. It's so medical and there's prescriptions. I'm confused. They're penetrating your skin. And so we realized that we can't just go and be like, give me a credit card. We need to create some kind of complexity here. So we create a quiz and we made it actually harder people sign up. And we try to gather much information, try to give them a newsletter or email list uh, so we can explain a product over time to them. So it makes our sales cycle a little longer. Uh, this is, I think, where True Classic's different teacher. People understand what t-shirt is, fits well. Here, it's people are like, what is glucose? Why do I care about this? And so for us, it's about creating that friction point on purpose. So if you go to a website, you can't even see the price. Uh, you wouldn't be able to see, like, we, 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 you saw the price when we first started a website for the first two weeks. After the first two weeks, we got rid of the price. So you have to fill out like a 10 or 15 uh, minute questionnaire before you even see the price, right? And that includes everything about your health. Um, but the second part is by filling that out, we actually have so much more data about you and we try to own that data so we can then be more effective marketing you and try to explain to you what it is. And then, so we have now, once you go through, actually use Clavio, I think one of your sponsors, 
uh, to the segment. Great plug. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I feel clearly should pay me too. <laughs> uh, and then we go and uh, segment out customers based on their personas and based on what their health habits are, what their goals are, what their if they have been sick or not. And then we have just hundreds of email campaigns running, right? And so someone could be here for weight loss, but they only want to lose two pounds. Where someone wants weight loss and they want to lose two hundred pounds, and they're going to get completely different set of emails, and it literally be like fifty email set of chain of chain set. Even though it's both weight loss, someone else could be running for a marathon, somebody trying to set a marathon record, both marathon runners, but very specific email campaigns for what they're trying to accomplish. And that's how we get people through the funnel. Does that help explain it? Yeah, it does. And then so top of funnel, what are you running to educate people? Like, are you, you know, keeping it vague and, you know, focus more on health or are you also, or are you more going after people? You mentioned like, you know, you're trying to add friction. Are you trying to use words like glucose and, you know, mm-hmm. really like for so, the people who already yeah. understand it or what does that look like? So top of funnel right now, and it's changed, but top of funnel for us, what we do is we do a lot of health and wellness podcasts, a little different this, but it's where we are the experts and we go on a health and wellness podcast and talk about the importance of this. So number one is the audience listens to it, gets intrigued, but then we repurpose that information and put that in our ads or in landing pages. So then a lot of times when people will see an ad for some famous, you know, doctor who's interviewing one of our executives about and it's an hour and a half interview. And people will click on it, they'll go to our landing page, they'll just watch an hour and a half interview. Oh wow. And you know, if people are into it, they're into it. And by the time they're done, they're so infatuated by the topic and so interested, they have a hard time not purchasing, right? Um, but it really it's the same as our interview process. Self selects people. Someone's willing to listen for an hour and a half. They're self-educating themselves while at the same time, they're convinced themselves why they should use your product. So, or we, we chop up the podcast and also have a ton of clips of podcasts where we go on and we'll just put them and you kind of use this, you know, the buy-in or the, get the name of the word where if someone has credibility, borrowed credibility, you have a famous doctor, you're next to him. We use that in 30 second clip. All of a sudden someone says, oh, I trust that doctor. Therefore I should trust this person as well. So we, that works really, really well for us. Uh, and also, obviously, white labeling with influencers, uh, white listing, that, that's very effective. Those are the biggest strategies. Obviously, run every campaign of the sun from ketogenic diet to weight loss to link of athletes. Uh, those are good, but they're just not as good as leveraging other credibility or not making as direct. It's getting people on their information list and slowly educating them because of the complexity of the product. Got it. So ultimately... Similar to, well, I guess not similar. So ultimately, you can't even go to NutriSense.com and buy the product without going through the quiz. So first, you're like, let's educate people and try to get them through the quiz. From there, we'll continue to educate and get them to purchase off the back end exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. We all now own NutriSense.com. It took us uh, two and a half years to buy it. We, had, we were NutriSense.io for the first you know, two and a half oh, wow. years because I think it was it was $7 for NutriSense.io and it, like, I think it was like twenty five or 30000 NutriSense.com. So oh, it took wow. us a little bit of time to buy the second one. <laughs> to save up. Did the price yeah. of the domain increase before you were able to buy it or no? No, no, we got it. We got it. But <laughs> it just, uh, you know, when you're starting off and uh, we had no money, no experience, no knowledge, right. uh, we had to be real scrappy. I think, you know, I, I've heard a couple of people on your podcast and they were amazing, but they just launched and went from nothing to a huge. And I was like, well, how do they do it? And I re- looked up the backgrounds. They're all like experts in certain fields. We started right. with no expertise, no knowledge. We're like, let's just figure out if we can make this work and just scrappily try to get something going. Yeah, that's amazing. The uh, $99.io compared to like the $10.com was probably really expensive back then too. <laughs> yeah, like, it's let's interesting. Let's splurge um, on the .io. 
Well, dot com was it's pretty it was taken. That's what was so expensive. It was taken. Yeah. We couldn't get it. Um and it's everyone would ask us like what's dot IO? And I'd say Indian Ocean. I think that's what it stands for. Yeah, it does. Uh, and everyone like, why do you want that? And I'm like, I don't know, it's the closest one that can get to cheap. Anybody um, in startups will understand the dot IO, but like any typical <laughs> consumer is like, what the heck is dot IO? Um we were yeah. waybreak.co yeah, exactly. originally as well. So you can definitely relate on that. Um <laughs> and the journey of acquiring the dot com. But um no, I love the funnel that you laid out. I want to talk more about the quiz too. Like what yep. was the thought process behind, hey, we're going to launch this quiz. We're going to gate the product. Was that something that you tested into or is it something that initially you're like, there's too much education. Every use case is so different. Like how did you come up with the quiz as a, uh, yep. you know, as the main lever? Yeah. So my belief is, my belief is, and I've talked to a lot of founders about the, the more expensive the product is, the smaller, the lower conversion, right? And so the question becomes, you know, if you're selling candy bars for five, 10 bucks, your conversion be higher. When I'm selling a $1,200 product on the internet, I have, nobody has any brand awareness. Nobody trusts me. They don't know if they can, if I'm even going to steal the credit information. So how do I keep them and explain to them what this is, right? Because at first, like when we first started, I had to literally get in a phone call, explain to people what it is for 30 minutes um, until we got more information on the website. And so I realized that by putting that gate, we are going to get some, like, we did get a lot, actually. Fuck you, gmail.com. Tell me the price, asshole, gmail.com. We got a lot of those. <laughs> but we realized that if somebody's going to be like that anyways, do we want him to be our customer? And so we almost had this like leaky bucket. So we know we need to capture more information and keep these people around. And so we put that in place. And it was, at first, it was just give me your phone number and your email and things like that, basic stuff. And we're getting a good amount. But then we said, we need to start targeting these people more explicitly, understanding how to separate them early on. Because you know, there's a famous saying: you can't sell you know dog food to a cat person. And so, first we had generic emails explaining glucose monitor what's important. But if I'm here for weight loss and you're telling me about Olympic athletes, I don't care. And so we started adding more and more and more to it, and we started realizing actually our conversion rates actually started increasing the more we added to it because we people realized that we were talking to them, we we're trying to solve their problem. And you have to realize like everyone has a problem. That's what they're looking for a product to buy. And if you can address how you could solve their problem, they're much more willing to spend. But you can't address that problem unless you know the problem is. And so adding that friction and understanding more information about their issue helped us dramatically. And we just started adding more and more to it. Then we ran probably hundreds of experience A-B tests of like what questions ask. Um, but it really dramatically helped their experience and conversions. Yeah, I feel like the quiz has become hot over the last couple of years. Um, but I think a lot of people are looking to it as more of like a, you know, another growth hack to like try to maximize performance versus, you know, the strategy that you're executing is a great example of data-driven marketing as it should be when you have all this data, like so many brands have so much data and they're not doing anything with it, or they're not actually using it to personalize in an effective way like you are. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's taken a long time to build out all of it those took, sequences. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it I mean, wasn't I think overnight. now we, it wasn't, I think the second thing we're doing right now is. So we have a mobile app, right? It's getting people inside the mobile app as fast as possible. What gets interesting is adding that plus combining with what do you actually do inside the app? What do you click on? What buttons do you play with? How long are you in the app? What are you doing? That gets to be more exciting for us because we have more information about you. So in some ways, if you think about it, we're becoming almost like a micro Facebook for the health and wellness. Because if you're in our app and you're tracking, let's say you're eating supplements every day, we now know what supplements you're eating. And if you're eating supplements, what else are you eating with that supplement? So you could be like, hey, every day I eat apple and juice and magnesium supplement versus someone else is eating collagen supplement. And someone is waking up at a certain time, they track this or exercise, and we get to see all their data about them. And we get to be even more targeted and understand their behaviors. And it gets very, very interesting.
And we now built out, I think, a seven-person data science team who takes their quiz data, their Facebook data, like where they come from, their health data, plus their activity inside the app, and puts a profile around this person and says, what do we think they're going to spend with us historically? What's the likelihood they're going to go buy XYZ? What's the likelihood they're going to go buy a Peloton? What's the likelihood they're going to go buy a subscription for supplements? Based on all this data now, because we have so many data points on them. Yeah, that's one thing you mentioned I've heard you talk about before is like you're very adamant on also just like having analysts to go through all of your numbers um yep. across the entire business. Let's talk let's talk about that. Like what do you, what do you mean by that? And then like are they just looking at the quiz? Are they looking at financials, operations? What does that look like? Yeah. So we have a very skewed belief about the world, which you know, people will probably find get offended by it, is this data people can over time learn non-data skills. But non-data skills, people cannot often learn data skills. So we have been extreme about hiring people with backgrounds in finance, math, engineering, marketing analysts, like analytical skills. And to give you some context, our HR, our two HR people, one's a former banker, investment banker, the other one's a former mathematician, right? Our <laughs> paid media person, yeah, for HR, our paid media people, uh, one's a former accountant, one's a former engineer, one's a former finance guy. Right. And every role, a customer support manager is a finance guy. Right. Wow. So we put math people, finance people, engineering people, data people in every role. And we then have them learn other skills as necessary versus the vice versa. We're like, oh, let's get designer to work on, figure out how to, you know, do finance. It's not going to work. By doing this, people, number one, are able to self uh, by themselves start building systems internally and connecting data points. But two is we're starting to get a better picture of our customer and every single thing that happens. The biggest problem with online marketing is the attribution as well as really truly owning a customer, right? The moment you stop using Facebook ads, these customers disappear. You don't have them. So our goal is to get the customer inside of flow, whether it's SMS, whether it's email, whether it's the mobile app, and own that customer so we can build a relationship um, and not have to retarget, remarket nonstop all the time. So it's really kind of the goal we're always trying to get to is how do we own the customer? We take the from the platform to our platform. Um, and that's really the goal here. And every person has to have the skills. And so when they start, we then throw them on like, okay, you might not know SQL. We're going to teach you SQL. If you're a data person, you're going to learn it. If you don't know, you know, attribution, we're going to teach you this. So we basically have this weird model in our company where continuous learning, which everyone has, I think. We also have this thing where it's continuous teaching. You have to teach everyone, everyone else, everything else about data because we're just so obsessed with data. Um, and we've seen this over and over where it's just the more data you have, the more effective it is. You could just be better. You can out, outperform people because it's not how much only you spend, but how well you receive revenue and how well you maintain that revenue. That requires a lot of information about people. Yeah. I mean, even like thinking about the customer support angle and having somebody who's data-driven there, not only are they going to be more efficient and figure out ways to optimize the program, but they're also going to develop a really great data set that then you can use back on the customer acquisition side, back on the retention side with those conversations with customers. And um, people forget, I mean, but for example, like on customer support, right? Like you will have refunds that happen part of the day. You'll have people rebuttaling. You'll have cases you win and lose, right? Disputes. And thinking about like, the, if you think about, there's always this balance of if you have more customer support, it's going to cost you more. People are happier. But if you have less, you have more refunds you have to give. But doing a mathematical model of actually understanding what is the break-even point and how much customer support do you give? Do you reach out to every person on the phone, a video call? Do you do some? Like, how do you determine? How do you escalate that? How do you analyze that per dollar event? And putting that in practice, say, and sometimes saying, actually, you know, let person dispute. 
and it sounds silly, but sometimes you won't let people dispute because you're going to win a certain ratio. Uh, and sometimes you don't and you want to refund it because it's the hour per cost is too expensive for customer support. So doing those models mathematically at scale is really important. Early stages right. of matter. But once you get big, like that could be easily like a $5,000, you know, examination every single day that happens. Yeah, no. And it makes sense. And it's like, is it better to cut your losses early? Like versus like, what's the true long-term cost? I think also exactly. like being the founder, you get so caught up in being, I don't want to get ripped off. And so, you know, I want to fight for every dollar, every <laughs> yeah, penny Exactly. Uh, versus like realizing that, you know, probably not always the best place to spend your time. Not and, always. Uh, no, not I think that's all. a great example too, to look at, you know, how do you make each role within the company data driven? Um, and then it also makes it easier to like, even do like the case study approach, like you're saying, like, if you know, you're hiring for a data driven uh, person, like, I, I feel like that's a lot easier to like judge and score someone against versus, it is. you know. We have Just a weekly update nothing. from every team. So I get like 15 weekly updates. And this is basically like a report, like a three-page report by every team that sends me weekly, 15 of these. So it's any of customer support, logistics, logistics, operations. Every team sends me one. And I basically don't need to talk to those people on a call. So I, they send to me, I leave questions, they respond to those questions, and 99% of the time is all good. And we don't have to have a meeting. So I could just not talk to majority of our teams for a month or two at a time until something bad happens, hopefully never. Or something big we need to do, then we try to do, you know, meetings are meant for collaboration and creation of something new or problem solving, not for updates, right? Yeah. I think they're a distraction. And by doing that, uh, we save a lot of time. How much time does it take you to go through those 15 reports? Uh, that takes a lot. I mean, right. That it probably takes me 10 hours a week. But oh, wow. so that's like the whole now, Monday is going through them or Tuesday or something like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Because remember, now is a point. Now we're a company, we're 170 people. So we're a lot bigger than we were before. And so now my job as an individual is to truly understand and steer the ship and understand where things are going wrong. Because I have the big picture now, and not everyone has a big picture. People are now too in the weeds. They may be doing something that is impacting a different department negatively, or, or they may not know where the other departments are going. So when I see 14 departments going left and the 15th going right, I got to go, hey, hey, you got to slow down. We got to move you back to the other side. And that's what I'm kind of doing the whole time. Or if I'm seeing things that are just dramatically wrong, then I stop and I'm like, why are we doing this? People say, oh, we think this is going to work. I'm like, no, no, no. We've seen it seven times now because remember, we have historical <laughs> updates. This is what's interesting. It didn't work. Let's not do it again. Hmm. Um, and that's the I, cool part about it. Because you have these written every week, people can go historically look at stuff. And then I get onboarding. Onboarding is so critical because onboarding, recruiting is forever. Onboarding is forever. It takes too much time. And speed is the value we care about. People can go read through updates and they can actually get caught up on something so quickly because they can read three years of updates of worked or didn't work. And so it, just being obsessive about taking notes about everything we do and tracking everything really drives us in the forward direction. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And so when somebody onboards, are you just like, all right, read these reports. And then that's like one of the first things they do. We have so reports. We also have, I mean, we have a huge, like a backpack, we call it, and uh, notion where it's like step by step what they need to do to get onboarded. Uh, and it, they just go through everything. Uh, but there's a lot, there's a lot of reading going on. And we just want them to understand as much as they possibly can. Uh, but that's really the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We're starting to run out of time. And I do want to cover a little bit more in marketing. Um, yeah, let's do it. So, marketing. What's next for the brand? You mentioned like, you know, Facebook is a key channel. What other channels are you exploring? What are you thinking about, sure. you know, throughout 2023? Our biggest one that we're trying to get to is a mobile app uh, paid search through Apple and Google Play Store. We think that's a huge opportunity. And we've seen a lot move there. 
but the thing we've noticed is that you need a low tier subscription. So we're trying to figure out how do we make a lower tier subscription for us so people can get inside our mobile app for five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. And then we can educate them there inside. So we're generating some revenue. We're even breaking even maybe on a uh, paid, but we can then upsell them inside the platform and provide more value there. Uh, that's really what we're exploring uh, in this whole year now coming up. Yeah, that's great. Any other channels outside of like Facebook that you're looking at or seeing success with? I don't know if you've tried TV. Yeah, so we've radio, done or... we've done we've done Facebook, we've done YouTube, we've done Twitter, Quora, Pinterest, influencers, podcasts, um, TikTok. I mean, TikTok for us is a huge, huge TikTok for us. And I know some people said TikTok is not as effective for them. For us, it's probably forty percent of our revenue now is TikTok. Oh wow. And are those TikTok and ads? Are they influencers? Is it a mix? It's it's uh, ads mostly, but sometimes we do a mix with influencers, but ads mostly. And again, I think it's specifically because our product is very differentiated. When people see the first thing, they go like, what the hell is this? Right. So that's what makes our product interesting. Like, we just got to get people to see it, to question it. I'm like, huh, what? Um, versus other companies, that they have to differentiate themselves and show how they're different. For us, they just have to get excited and be like, let me see this and click on it. And so if you see, we see ads like where people kind of almost like stab themselves in the arm and stuff and go, oh, wow. And it looks kind of scary because there's a needle there at first. And so that gets people interested. We just got people interested. So they click on a website and then read about it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's perfect for like that TikTok hook effect where you got to draw exactly. somebody in in the beginning or else they're just going to keep scrolling. Um, no, and we're starting to run out of time here. It's been great chatting with you. Um, I mean, so many people should sit down and take notes like you do to the other episodes because there's a lot to learn from from team building to you know optimizing and scaling your marketing, personalization. Um, but as we start to wrap up, just like anything else that you want to say in terms of you know continue to grow the brand, yeah. things you're focused on, or just to yeah, I think out. I think the one thing I would tell people is this: when you first start, focus on one channel, and number two is don't worry about having it be scalable. First, you just got to get it. To work somehow. You got to generate some revenue, get something going, right? It's hard to have scalability right away. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows anything about you. So you need to get something moving first, right? Because you have no brands, you have to build something. And so by doing this, you get the easy wins early on and you kind of build this muscle of feeling success and it helps you keep going more, right? Morally, as well as actually gets people talking about your brand. So don't worry about scalability. Everyone wants to think, just press Facebook and just be like, Where's my billion dollars in revenue? <laughs> sometimes you're not. Yeah. And sometimes you're actually going to have negative return. We may spend $1,000 and generate $500 in revenue. And that's okay. You have to look at the learning opportunities in the early days. And those are more critical than actual revenue a lot of times. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. How far would you focus on scaling that one channel? Is there a certain revenue mark where you think it makes sense to you know, start exploring other channels? Or what are your thoughts on that? So for example, for... We only went to Facebook paid once we had about $150,000 a monthly re recurring revenue, right? Uh, uh, so until then, we had all unscalable channels. Which um, was what, like DMing people or like how are you? It was DMing Instagram influencers, DMing Instagram influencers, just hundreds every week. It was going on health and wellness podcasts. We, we did something like we've done like 500 health and wellness podcasts now, or we're the <laughs> wow. guests on the podcast. And then it was also just Facebook groups of things that, and just going to Facebook groups and just actually funny enough, taking those influencer videos, taking those podcasts and putting them like, oh, look, look at this interesting podcast about glucose monitoring. Just putting it in there. That was our marketing. And people would be like, this is cool. Someone else would be like, this is stupid. And let people argue with each other. And then people watch it. And like, as long as you get some member, I think Paris Hilton said, like, 
no attention is bad attention or something like that, or no press is bad press. As long as you get people to get views, you want eyeballs. Some people will hate it and think this is stupid, but you need eyeballs because some people will like what you're selling. And there's a famous saying that goes, America is a big country. And there's always 1 million people, at least 1 million people that will like what you have. And how do you get those million people to know you exist? That's the hard part. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to generate that, that buzz, that excitement. Yeah. I love the idea of like going rogue in these groups as well. Um, <laughs> and just like, you know, blending in, posting your content. I mean, even that, like, I feel like brands are like, oh, what do I do? You know, do I run TV and I do this and I do that when it's like, even it's so just- hard to track TV, TV is yeah. so hard to track. Uh, we tried radio. Uh, it's interesting, by the way, series radio was actually very interesting for us. Regular radio was super bad, but series radio was actually super interesting. And we were surprised how well it worked. It kind of makes sense though, because like you have to pay for that. So it's like a more premium customer versus just yeah. like an average person. Um, yeah. yeah, that's super interesting. Um, but yeah, if we had more time, I'd dive into like every single channel you've tested. Cause I'm sure you could go on and explain exactly what worked and what didn't. But um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. For people who want to learn more about NutriSense, um, you know, maybe start monitoring their glucose, um, you know, or just connect with you, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, go to Nutrisense.io, N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E.io. Uh, and you could just, I mean, check out a newsletter if you wanted some free content. We have a ton of content all about health and importance. There is a lot of content that shows you how different Things actually are a lot of things we read about, like intermittent fasting is considered cool. Turns out not for everyone, not all the time. Some people it's bad for it. Um, or you can add me on LinkedIn and happy send me a message, a specific message, not a general one about like marketing. Uh, and I'm happy to help. Always happy to help founders. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. There's a lot to take away here today. We'll link everything up down in the show notes below. But thanks again for taking the time. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.